0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of Pocketbook Politics. I'm your host, Reed Ramsey. This podcast is dedicated to talking about those things that matter to most people the most, which is the pocketbook, the bank account, the money. What really pervades most of American politics is how it affects you at home, whether it be the gas prices at the pump or how much money comes out of your bank account or your check each pay period? I believe that this is where a lot of people spend a lot of their time thinking. So for this first episode, I'm gonna keep it a little light and sort of start on uh, an auxiliary subject, and and that one being about Dave Ramsey. So me being a Ramsey myself, I often get comments from folks. Do you know Dave Ramsey? Are you related to Dave Ramsey? No, no. First first and foremost, no. I am not related to Dave Ramsey. It is just a coincidence. We share the last name. Now, I, I don't know if I'm related to him. Uh, I, I sure as hope not. Regardless, it's something that in the finance world we hear a lot about, and it's something that, as like I said before, as a Ramsey, is something I also hear a lot about. But something that really bugs me about Dave Ramsey is sort of his ethic and kind of what he espouses. I don't think he's ultimately someone that people could follow. Or rather, I don't think that he's a long-term, reliable source of information in regards to your finances, in regards to what you're going to be doing with your money moving forward. I also have a lot of other issues with just how he conducts his business. So for this episode, I'm going to keep it sufficiently brief, and we're going to talk about a few things. So first, we're going to talk briefly about sort of the background behind Dave Ramsey, kind of how he came to be where he is. Second, we're going to talk about kind of how he came to prominence um, a little bit. I might put those two subjects together. And then finally, we're going to be talking more a little bit about his contemporary controversies and why I think his ideas in, in, in outside of the finance stuff and inside of the finance stuff, to a certain extent, are pretty outdated. So the first thing is sort of understanding the context behind Dave Ramsey. Um, not a lot of information as to what, like what I was reading. Granted, I haven't done a significant amount. I know there's documentaries. I know he's written books. But what you really hear about is he was an entrepreneur from when his dad wouldn't allow him to get a popsicle, so he started a business. He was an entrepreneur. He started selling uh, bracelets or something, and then that sprung him into this whole arena of selling things, and he was able to pay himself through college and got a uh, undergraduate degree in Tennessee. Um, he specialized in business and real estate, and I believe real estate is really where, his, where he made his name, and that's kind of the middle sort of part. Right. He was able to make like $100 million or $200 million. He was had a big business, and then for some reason, it just kind of like he, he fought for for bankruptcy. I didn't really read too much into it, but evidently he came to this sort of moment, and he screwed up. And as a result of that, he was able to parse through that experience and learn some, some lessons that he monetized into this business to where other schmoes out there who are trying to get financially right look at him as some sort of guru or some sort of savior out there to help them on their financial path to financial freedom, quote unquote. A couple of things to sort of unpackage there. Now, Dave Ramsey being white, Southern, cis male, was allotted a certain amount of privilege. Now, this is where the story I think can become a little bit more interesting is to okay, what, what was the life growing up in the Ramsey household? Uh, what, what what kind of things was he able to um, utilize? I.e., how was he able to utilize that privilege as a means to propel himself forward, right? And especially in a world like real estate, that is a uniquely racist industry uh, that historically has ostracized black uh, black and brown folks in terms of redlining houses, putting them in certain areas, but also realtors. Because in a certain extent, those those folks um, were less likely to get business or to earn the rights of business to certain people, like white affluent people. So there's a certain inner circle that allows you to propel in that industry itself. And I believe that insulation really shaped Dave Ramsey into what he has ultimately become into this financial guru. So I think that there's more to unpackage there. Um, And I, I often interrogate uh, these sort of understandings and ideas of the bootstrap story, right? Everyone in America in this capitalist society can just be come from absolutely nothing, raise yourself up by your bootstraps and then make, make, make money. Am I right? Get rich, right? Millions, whatever. Oftentimes, this story isn't accessible to everyone. It, it isn't always as cut and dry as lift yourself up by your bootstraps because this do- often doesn't account for those other externalities that might influence people's abilities to be successful in that unique industry, it, things that intersect right, as you know, class, sexual orientation, gender, and race. All of these things interact together, and I think that this is the fundamental misstep in where Ramsey really is stuck in this sort of archaic, really white, hegemonic sort of power dynamic sort of culture, and I think that's where he loses uh, a lot of people, Uh, and I think that he leans on this sort of Christian ethic to to cloak himself in this way. So that's kind of the background information in, in regards to Dave Ramsey. I think that there's more than meets the eye, and I think that he really doesn't – well, one, it doesn't really get talked about as much. It's just that sort of cookie-cutter businessman, you know, able to make money, whatever, whatever. I think there's more to that story. I think there's more to that story. But the real kicker, and what we'll move on to in the second in part two here, is some of his contemporary handlings of his business. So I'm talking about Ramsey Solutions. So Ramsey Solutions is this conglomerate organization that churns out content. It writes, you know, media. You know, he has his YouTube channel. He writes books. Uh I, I believe there's like classes, right? So he basically utilized his sort of um his failure as a means of monetization. And the last thing I'll say as we transition into part two, is that not everyone has the luxury to fail upward. Not everyone has the opportunity to fail upward. In other words, folks that, that fall from that level of permanence or be, be able to reach that sort of point, you know, some can't just, you know, fail and, and be able to come back from that or be to even like be able to monetize like he was able to, you know, throughout the 80s, you know, a uniquely interesting time for uh in America and in the, in the Ronald Reagan era and the era of cutting taxes for the rich and sort of the the modern conservative party. Right. That's a whole other conversation in and it of itself that we will be delving into more significantly, a little bit more. Um, focus on the history there later on, but I digress. Part two, we're talking about contemporary issues that have sprung up throughout the tenure of the Ramsey Solutions. So, within the past year, we all know we have been through COVID-19, we have gone through this pandemic, and it has been a drag on the economy, both locally, nationally, and internationally, it has deeply implicated the global markets. March 2020, there was a massive shock, right? Since shockwaves everywhere, right? We were we're still not in the great position, but things came back ultimately, right? So, this little context behind sort of, uh, and I, you know, folks probably know this unless you're living under a rock practically. But a few things that sort of just miff me about Dave Ramsey's handlings. In December of 2020, according to an NBC um, article um, and from folks who were disclosed this information um, outside of the office um, and throughout COVID, throughout COVID, mind you. The Ramsey Solution Organization kept the offices open with full staff, in-person employees. As people started to test positive for COVID in the office, they would still have to go to work. They would still not have that leeway. Uh, or that safety to um, work from home or anything like a mask mandate in the office and things like this. And, and this came out largely from a court case that happened from an employee who filed suit. Additionally, the icing on the cake, the cherry on top in 2020 December, there was a complaint filed with the Franklin Health Department Um, where I suppose that the Ramsey Solutions corporate office is located. It's probably somewhere in Tennessee. That's where he comes from. They had a huge Christmas party. They had a Christmas bash at the company headquarters. Everyone was instructed explicitly not to wear gloves, not to wear masks, um, and this goes for the employees and for the people catering the party. So for the people that were hired to work the party, the people who arguably were probably the most exposed, right? Because oftentimes we see that these service industry folks are the folks that uh, it might be people of color um, or folks on the lower rungs of the socioeconomic ladder, right? Um, mo- mo- oftentimes, right? So you you see little things like this where he utilizes this evangelical ethic, this super hardcore right-leaning ethic um, to directly hurt his, his, his the people that he works for. And I think that this is largely representative of how he views the world and how he espouses his politics. Additionally, right? And, and let, me, let me just pause. So you might be thinking, all right, yeah, this is one thing, right? All right, that doesn't mean that the guy's a bad guy, right? And I'm not saying the guy's a bad guy. I just kind of don't like him. I just don't like him. I don't think that he is the end-all be-all, Christian or not, for financial advice. Sure, if you go to him and he changed your life, that's fantastic. That's great. Go Move on. Read a little bit more for yourself. Make your own sort of decisions based on how you see the market, based on how you see your money working for you. But additionally, according to Business Insider in 2021... um. Dave Ramsey fired, let's see here, he fired nine employees in five years for violating a righteous living code. So the policy came out of another court case from an ex-employee that said that they were fired for being pregnant and having premarital sex. Really? Really, Dave Ramsey? You're going to fire your employees for engaging in premarital sex? Like what is this? This isn't this isn't the, 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 the turn of the twentieth century anymore. Like we don't we don't just do that. There are rights. People have rights. And it's ironic coming from a hyper conservative that you would trounce on someone's rights. Obviously there's a whole evangelical Christian, I'm saving you from hell. Right? Sort of situation that happens. But nonetheless, you are hurting someone's ability to make an income by firing them for having premarital sex. How the hell do you even find out about this? They talked about, oh, wait, they, they were pregnant. That's how they find out. So this is direct sexism and discrimination against women for having premarital sex. This is rife with all sorts of sexism and bigotry and all sorts of absolute, utter bullshit. I don't understand this. And so he's able to, and I'm sure that there's other things that have gone on in the past. I know that a few other people, particularly people of color who have become um, a little antagonistic towards the Ramsey Solutions Organization, probably for other racist bullshit that they espouse as well. I could just assume that based on how he does his business, right? And as a Christian man, that's pretty, uh, for Dave Ramsey, as Dave Ramsey is a Christian man, sorry. That is pretty contradictory. I thought the whole purpose was to accept people. I thought the whole purpose was to accept people with open arms, right? Judge people as you judge yourself or something like that, right? Treat people as you would have yourself treated or treat people, rather, the Platinum Rule, as they want and should and ought be treated. Because... The the largest criticism here is that he has this one-size-fit-all approach to finance. He has this one-size-fit-all approach to how he views politics, how he views finance and life, right? This just doesn't work. This doesn't work in a multiracial, multicultural, diverse society to which we live in. It does not work. Sure, this is appealing to some folks in these circles who either are ignorant, to these facts, or they agree and align with these sort of situations, and they ultimately don't care, and they're going to continue to follow the guidance and the guidelines in which he espouses throughout his shows and things like that. Additionally, one of the other things that he said that I think are, are pretty dumb, and I don't really understand was on I believe it was a, a Fox News interview. I don't know if it was Fox and Friends or if it was uh, Hannity or even Carlson. I'm not sure which one of those freaking segments it was, regardless. They were interviewing him about the stimulus checks and about what he thought about the stimulus checks, and he went on to say in quote, "If six hundred or fourteen hundred dollars changes your life, you're pretty much screwed already." You've got other issues going on. He then suggested that those other issues could include excessive debt, relationship troubles, or mental health problems. Okay, Dave Ramsey. If you are going to expouse the baby step, step one, saving $1,000... And the government's just gonna hand you a thousand dollars. Wouldn't that be consistent with your narrative? Wouldn't that be consistent with what you teach? Couldn't you just tell your followers to say, "Hey, if you're gonna be getting, look, you got, uh, you know, roughly—I I can't remember—you got uh, roughly three thousand ish dollars. Some people got more. Some people got less. Put it in savings. If you don't, if you're not able to put it directly in savings, then uh, utilize it how you need to, right?" But how are you going to set up on your privileged-ass pedestal and tell people that this was a bad idea and that if it was going to save you, then you're lost already? Isn't that antithetical to the whole principle of his organization and to his whole story coming from losing majorly in the 80s and then bouncing back? Isn't the whole bootstrap story supposed to be about people coming back from deplorable situations in finding themselves in this capitalist society being able to make a name for themselves or at the very least make a buck so that they can grow their income and live comfortably isn't that the whole point so i suppose that this 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 interrogation of the stimulus checks goes back to oh taxes 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 i don't i firmly don't understand how these evangelical Christian conservatives can get up here and say, like, taxes are evil, taxes are the bane, t- they're, they're awful. When taxes are what pays for the national defense, taxes are what pays for the, you know, the roads, the schools, the everything, right? The infrastructure, the, the freaking everything. Why wouldn't you want to see your community thrive? You're already going to be t- paying taxes anyway. They're not, going to, they're not going to go to net zero, what do you think the function of the government is? Even if you look into the classic political philosophers. If you look at like people like Hobbes, or you look at Rawls, or some of these other people, I'm trying to think of the 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 one that I'm particularly thinking of, like social contract theory and the state of nature. I believe it's Thomas Hobbes. It could be. I don't think that's Rawls. Rawls talks about restorative justice. Um, Who's the other one? Regardless, it may or may not be Thomas Hobbes. But their whole principle is that the government granted, with a a grain of salt, with a grain of salt, right? I, I, I don't firmly believe that these people had the best idea and outlooks of government, but this is what we were taught growing up. This is what we were taught in civics class. This is what we were taught as a very fundamental look at political philosophy. Social contract theory says that we give up a certain amount of our rights to the government so that they take care of us. Fundamentally, so that we no longer exists in the state of nature. The state of nature being that sort of period of time in which there is no government structures, there's no safety net, there's no uh, police, there's no protection, and people are just you know at like theoretically like at each other, right? You know, you think of. Um, what is, what is that? Uh... Lord of the Flies comes to mind. Lord of the Flies is a book where a bunch of kids get trapped on an island. They, they come from civilization. And it devolves into this utter sort of like crazy, like segmented. Like, I don't even know. It just gets really violent. And the kids start being really sort of tribal in their ways of thinking. And they sort of split off and they... They just murder this kid. Like, it gets wild, right? But that's it's kind of like an insight into kind of what the state of nature looks like. So if these are the principles that were like, I you know, the foundations of the conceptual models of government and at least the the U.S. Go- like, well, if that's not true, if that's not the function of government, what is the function of government? They also, like, go on and, you know, I, I digress. I digress. Right? That, let's save this for another episode. Let me conclude. So we've talked about briefly where Dave Ramsey sort of came from, a little interrogation of that narrative. And second, we talked about where Dave Ramsey is and some of his gaffes, some of his, I guess I wouldn't call them gaffes, they're controversies, and just dumb decisions by the Ramsey Solutions Organization. I guess the last thing, and I could have talked a little bit more about his approach to finance, and I guess I will briefly here. He his approach to the the finance question. Um, he has a few things. He's got the baby steps. Those are fine. Reducing debt, that's fine. Um, I, I don't think that the snowball method is uniquely advantageous when you look at interest rates or wherever you're at. I think that it should go. You should pay off cards that have higher interest rates. And then move on. I understand the momentum behind paying off smaller cards so you see success faster, but that's not always the best thing for your, you know, money. So that's one thing. Um, I, I think that the the largest criticism I see from financial professionals on Dave Ramsey is one he has this one size fit all approach to pol or to not politics, but well, yeah, kind of to politics, but finance. In terms of being highly debt and risk averse, you don't have to be that risk averse. There are such things as good debt. Additionally, he says credit cards are awful. You don't need a credit score. All this now—that's fundamentally wrong. You need a credit score. You need to be able to to build a credit score. Like, how are you going to get a low interest on a mortgage? or a car or whatever other things that you need to buy. Or if you're trying to invest in property, how are you gonna get the most lucrative outcome without a great credit score? Now, how do you do that? You build it through strategic utilization of credit cards. Credit cards are not evil. People just lack self-control. You just need to spend and pay down. Spend and pay down. Pay the principal every month. You'll see your credit score go up. And keep those running balances low or at zero. So those are just a couple of things that I think that he fundamentally misses. He also has a big thing against whole life insurance and other life insurance sort of things, um, which well, I'll probably get into that more on another episode. I want to keep this sufficiently brief here. But like I was saying, talk to kind of about his background, where he is, and kind of his missteps. And just to circle back, I, I often get comments. My name's Reed Ramsey. His name's Dave Ramsey. We are not related. And I'm, I, I'm glad we, we are not because we would have probably some intense conversations around Thanksgiving meals and uh, would definitely push him and challenge him in that regard. And, you know, fundamentally ask him, like, does he think his approach works for absolutely everyone? Because I think that the structures in which he exists were made to privilege him. They were made to privilege him. So that's our show. That's my show. Uh, This has been Pocketbook Politics. The point of the show is to talk about what matters most to families. I primarily think of my family at home in middle America, what really affects them. And primarily, it's how the money is being spent and how it will affect their pocketbooks. So, i.e., Pocketbook Politics. We are going to investigate further and deeper into some other issues that surround the, the 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 nation's sort of political stalemate, as you will. We'll look at that and look at how money intersects in all of these things. So it's sort of a, a a hybrid approach of a lot of different topics, but in general, a lot of them will orient around money because I believe fundamentally that the whole creation of you know free market capitalism, all of this comes down to property. Right, and we'll get into a little bit of the history behind that and how it informs how awful capitalism can be and and ultimately, right, like I was saying, how it influences you. So if you enjoyed the show, go ahead and subscribe. I will be posting more podcasts on a regular basis. If you uh, like kind of my perspective here or want to learn more, I do have a Twitter handle at Read Ramsey3. I also have an Instagram, at Reed Ramsey, that you can follow. And also, uh, I will be publishing more YouTube video content. And in the future, it's going to be a video-based podcast, along with the audio posted here on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. You will surely be able to access it through the primary distribution through Anchor here. So I appreciate you listening to the show. And I will see you next time, probably within the next week for another episode.